Hey, it's Dr. Marissa Lee Naismith here, and I'm so honored to be sharing today's interview round episode with you. Listen, and you will be inspired by amazing healthcare practitioners, voice teachers, and music industry professionals who will share their stories, knowledge, and experiences within their specialized fields to help you live your best life every day. As singers, our whole body is our instrument, and our instrument echoes how we feel physically, mentally, and emotionally. So don't wait any longer. Take charge and optimize your instrument now. Remember that to sing is more than just learning about how to use the voice. It's about a voice and beyond. So without further ado, let's go to today's episode. Nancy Boss is an acclaimed author, international speaker, and owner of Studio Boss Media, who has taught voice for over 20 years. As a globally recognized voice expert, Nancy truly believes that everyone has a right to sing and to use their voice. In this episode, Nancy explains that voice teachers are incredibly lucky people because they have the opportunity to live out their passion every day and witness the joy of transformation and empowerment in their students. Nancy shares her personal story of how she had to unlock her own voice, which had been suppressed as a child, as well as overcome severe performance anxiety in order to help others reach their highest potential. She opens up about her life's mission to inspire people all around the world to find the freedom to express through voice that part of who they are that connects us all. This is part one of a two-part interview with Nancy and I'm sure you are going to truly be captivated by her wisdom and her experiences. Without further ado, let's go to today's episode. Thank you and welcome to the podcast, Nancy Boss. It is such a pleasure having you here today. We only met a couple of weeks ago and I can honestly say from my side of the fence that I just felt an instant connection with you. I love what you stand for. I love your philosophies. And I just thought, where has this person been all my life? So welcome and thank you for being on the show. How are you going? Thank you. It is really great to be here. I feel the same way, like the instant connection. Just love getting to know you. So thank you for sharing yourself with the world through this podcast or I wouldn't have met you. So Oh, it's so fun. And I get to meet people like you. And the good thing about a podcast, and as you know, you have a podcast also, which we're going to get to later, but it's almost a little selfish because you learn as well and you ask the questions that you want to know the answers to so it's a little kind of sneaky selfishness there as well but we won't tell anyone that (laughs) okay so where are you right now um i'm in a small town outside of the seattle area um i live in the woods in a place called kitsap yep kitsap peninsula and it's in washington state near seattle Mm -hmm. 
Oh, that that's amazing. Seattle is a beautiful city. I've been there. The highlight for me was going to the Boeing factory, though. Yeah, it's I huge. was really fascinated with that. That's yeah. a very cool place. Yeah. So we're going to start with a little bit of biographical information. I always love to know the person behind the the rock star teacher and pedagogue and vocologist. So tell us about you. Have you always sung? Oh, yes. Yeah, right. I was one of those that that my mom and dad made a rule, no singing at the table. Uh, you know, that was the only place I wasn't allowed to sing. So, yeah. But singing is just part of being human, right? It Every is. Little, yeah. It all is. little kids sing, I think. I've never met a little kid who didn't sing. So Yes. And you have a philosophy too that you believe that everyone has the right to sing. Absolutely. Um, any, anybody who's, who's worked with teenagers notices that around those middle school years or 10, 11, 12, a self-consciousness comes in, right? And, and a lot of times, even before then, people are told not to sing by somebody that they respect or even somebody they don't disrespect. Just hearing that mm-hmm. Shuts things down, right? Yes. And, and so, one of my missions in life is to get people beyond that. And I, I could talk on that for like three hours alone. So let me know. <laughs> no, that's fine. You, you go for it. I love that philosophy. So, yeah. when, when you were a child and you were told to quieten down, mm-hmm. I mean, did you quieten down or did you continue to sing? <laughs> As a child, I had the confidence to think of it as a compliment. Oh, really? <laughs> I thought you were amazing. Yeah, <laughs> Nancy, just just you can sing later. I can sing later. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I will. Yeah, of course, and you did. Yes. And what about um, singing training? You did share a, your experiences with me, so it'd be interesting to hear about all of that too. Yeah. Well. Um, I, I was the the little girl who sang the solos in church and um, joined the adult church choir by the time I was 12. And in uh, middle school, when my voice was lower than many of the boys, I was singing the tenor or even the baritone on the Three Dog Night harmonies that our oh jazz God. choir was singing. Yeah, it was a pretty cool choir. <laughs> and wow. um, But then uh, as I got into high school, um, the whole education system – in that era, which was a few decades ago, steered everyone toward classical music. So mm-hmm. I was learning Amarilli and Caro Mio Ben, and and on the radio I was listening to Helen Reddy and Anne yes. Murray you know, and and Johnny Cash, and there was no common ground. It was like no. it was like ballet versus you know street dancing. Mm-hmm. So. Suddenly, the kid who'd known all along that she was a great singer didn't know anything, right? Yes. And I started taking voice lessons. I don't think I told you about this part before. I started taking voice lessons when I was 16, which was very young back then. People didn't take voice lessons. And really? I was taking, not in high school. They didn't. No, nope, wow. not until college in the U.S. in the in the 1970s and 80s. Um, and so I started taking voice lessons from a college professor who was uh, – he was condescending. Um, mm. He did not want to teach me. Uh, he would uh, smash his hands up to my cheeks and, you know, tell me to open my mouth, make my mouth longer. So, so singing lessons became torture. 
-hmm. classical music became torture. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I also had some, some issues, you know, of performance anxiety creep up around that time. So my knees would shake when I performed, right? And can you relate to that? <laughs> I, well, I'm just listening to your story and I'm thinking you're at the most vulnerable age you could possibly be at. That yes. is a time that you need someone championing you mm-hmm. and here you have someone tearing you down. Yes, I mean, exactly. I would have had a lot more than performance anxiety. I can assure you. Out the door. (laughs) Oh, I I don't even know how I would have reacted because I haven't been in that situation. My journey was very different. I I trained in the 70s, but I happened to have the only CCM teacher in the whole Mm. of Australia living around the corner. So I was attending lessons there and I was singing all the music that you talked about, not Johnny Cash, but I was singing <laughs> Tina Turner and all that kind of music at the age of 14 and loving it. Yes. Um, so I can't imagine how that made you feel. So what did you do about that? How did you handle it? I didn't handle it well. I went off to college um, and became a music major because I was the girl who sang all the time, right? And so, of course, she's going to be a music major. Um, and uh My performance anxiety got worse there to the point where I actually, my junior year, switched over to a music management major. I love business. And so I got a business and economics and music degree in order to avoid doing my senior recital. And I was told at that time that the only route was to be a performer or a school teacher. Yes. And I, I don't like classrooms full of children. They, my mind explodes. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> okay. I, can, I can relate to that one. Yes. So it's, it's either the opera stage mm-hmm. or the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. It's, well, I didn't want to do either one, right? Fair enough. Yeah. And so I was just stuck. But I knew that I loved to teach. So I asked a college teacher, how do I become a voice teacher? And he very kindly gave me a journal of singing from the U.S.-based National Association of Teachers of Singing. He, he required that I give it back a week later, but he said there's a whole organization just for teaching voice. Now, in order to become a voice teacher, you have to go over to Europe and have a professional career. And then when you come back, a university will hire you to be a voice teacher. I'm like, oh, what? oh right. Yeah. What is going on in that country of yours? (laughs) What were they teaching you back in the 70s? Yeah, and I got. I mean, I hate to say, it probably still goes on now in some educational institutions. I know that for a fact. Yeah, that's devastating. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point. It still goes on now, and it's been 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so you then, from what I understand. Your direction changed, though, didn't you start going? And I remember you telling me you worked at Foot Locker. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, couldn't couldn't find a job in arts management because of the economy at that time was the arts were being slashed and eventually landed up as a store manager for a lady footlocker casual store and did that for a few years, paid off all my college de- debt and completely mm-hmm. forgot that I was a musician. It was just like gone. Um, and I was really finding a lack of meaning in my life. Mm-hmm. I like, fine, I go to work. Yeah, I do a good job. I have yes. employees. Yes. You know, it's great. 
I, I ran the number one lady footlocker casuals in the country. So it was working, but of course there, you was, did. <laughs> there was nothing in my, in my heart, you know, for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just remember one day getting out of my car at home and I had this light bulb moment. I mean, really just music was given to me, just music. And, and I was like, Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a musician. I had forgotten. And in fact, at that time, I had already met and was engaged to my husband, I think. He didn't know that he married a musician. (laughs) He thought he married a lady footlocker manager. It never came up. (laughs) It just wasn't part of me at all. Yeah. Wow, that's a real big disconnect. Yeah, it was a real big. Massive, massive. That is like a canyon between one life and another life. Yeah, it's like two different people. Yeah. It's really mm-hmm. something. Yeah. So you you then thought to yourself, okay, this is who I am as a musician. How did you then find yeah. your way back? Because I do know you had a performance career. I did. So you know that um, maybe I, I would imagine you know that when we're listening, the universe tends to provide, right, and yes. give us what we need. And now yes. I was listening. And sure enough, the church I was going to, the music director left and they needed an interim music director while they did a search. And so I stepped in as the interim music director and uh, I didn't love it. Cause again, there's 30 people in front of me and I'm supposed to conduct them. And I'd only had one semester of conducting, but I got them through and I found yeah. the musician in me. <laughs> yeah. They started and finished at the right time. Yes. Doesn't matter what happened in between. <laughs> <Breathe>. <laughs> yep. And uh, and then my husband and I moved off to a small town where there was one fabulous voice teacher, and I started taking lessons from her. And and I said, you know, I I was scared to bring it up, but I said, oh, because she had her doctorate in in voice, right? I said I would like to be a voice teacher someday, and she said, fabulous. <laughs> we'll have you teaching in a few weeks. <laughs> and she knew that I was good. She knew I knew my stuff, and she decided she could mentor me. And plus she had too many students. And so she, I could take some of her. Yes, exactly. So she got me on my feet as a singing teacher. But then I was the singing teacher who was teaching, but not performing, right? And I picked up another choir. So I was directing a choir, but not soloing. I was mentoring soloists, but not doing it myself. And still stuck in classical is right. And my teacher was a classical teacher. Yeah. And I remember singing, she said, she just gave me some, some music from the um, soprano anthology, the gray one. Um, and, uh, you know, West Side Story or something. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. And, and that's not too bad. Well, no. And it might, it might not have been. At any rate, it was soprano yes. legit. Stuff. And, yes. and I sight read it because I really didn't know that music either. And she's, she's just like, wow. <laughs> Oh, there's something there. But she knew nothing about teaching musical theater. She just could see there was something there. Mm-hmm. So that was confusing. Um, and then uh, moved, I moved again one more time with my husband and started my own voice studio. Uh, and when I hit age 35, and I was teaching singers, and I was um, working as, a, as an alto section leader in a choir in Seattle, and I wasn't performing, I again had another realization that you've only got one life. And yeah. I had this deep regret oh. that, 
you know, how can I, how can I live this life without sharing the stories that come out of my mouth? And, and uh, I've got, I've got several performance anxiety stories that I could share. And one of them I want to share with you was, please do. I was with a, um, this is, this is kind of a funny one. This was back when, when I just become a musician again. Um, and so, so I was at the lady footlocker and I was singing with a, with a jazz group. So my closest friend was a piano player. She said this, um, is, is called top hats and roses. And what we would do is we would do jazzy arrangements of standards there were eight of us and we would perform them at um, RV parks, you know, Winnebago's recreational vehicles. We would perform those every Wednesday and Saturday. That's <laughs> and hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Who does that? <laughs> 50 bucks a night. Not bad. Oh, in the park. <laughs> <laughs> Winnebago's. Winnebago's and mosquitoes and yeah. <laughs> so, so I was, yeah, anyhow, I've got, yeah. So um, that was my first solo since, you know, the college mess. And I remember that the people in the group thought I was just a fabulous singer. I was far more trained than any of them. And when I got up to sing mm-hmm. my solo, I was a wreck, you know, they could tell, they could see that I wasn't breathing. They could see me shaking. And as soon as I got done, I would turn around and come back and I would be a mess and somebody would have to hug me, you know? And um, yeah, so there was a lot to overcome there, but, but I didn't really perform again until I was in my thirties and had that realization that, you know, you are just going to have to figure this out. So I didn't have any coaching on how to figure it out. But mm-hmm. I had heard the advice that the more you sing, yes. the easier it gets, right? Mm-hmm. That's part of it. That's, yes. that's part of yes. it. Yes, that's what people will usually say is just get up on stage as often as possible and slowly but surely those nerves will disappear. That's what I was told. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think of that? Well, because I was told that by people I trusted, that's yes. what I did. I actually started my performance career, my professional career, when I was 15 years old in a band. Yes. And yeah. I was working three or four nights a week at different functions. By the time I was 17, I was working five nights a week and wow. earn, earning more money than any of my school teachers. <laughs> um, but I just kept getting up there. Like yes. I just didn't know any better. And, and I didn't have the information that we have now where they talk about breathing and all these, you know, and and meditation and and mindfulness and all these and the tapping. I mean, it was get up there and start singing. (laughs) Okay. So, so yes, that is, and that is part of it because um, when we're performing, there's variables in the environment that aren't there when you're just at home singing, right? And so, absolutely. Somebody's going to cough. Somebody's now phone is going to ring. Somebody's going to yeah. look really grumpy and you have no idea what they're thinking, but you assume they hate you. You know, there's, there's going to be variables. The sound uh-huh. is different. The piano's different, yeah. whatever yeah. Your, your guitar string breaks. So, so that, that, yes, absolutely. You have to get out there and do it a lot. Um, as, as far as one time that I had to do this. So I started setting up performance gigs for myself. And one time, I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan, but I've watched all the Star no. Treks and I'm so, <laughs> good on you so i've watched tammy (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> so in Star Trek, there's this thing called a holodeck where you walk into an empty room and the computer programs a realistic environment for you. So I had a, I had a choir solo. And so I just decided the only way I'm going to get through this is if this is a holodeck and they're not real. And talk about, I didn't know anything about mindfulness either, but that's what that is, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. And so it you, totally worked. It totally okay. worked. Well, <laughs> I've not heard that. But no, nobody heard, has. No, but they say, imagine everyone in the audience is naked. Right. You've heard that one. Yes. I mean, that would put the fear of God in me. <laughs> you. <laughs> it would I mean, some of those people sitting in the audience are not the most attractive people anyway, and you don't want to see them naked, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I have to say there is something about imagination, but not not that one. No, not that one. (laughs) So after all those experiences that you went through, and, I mean, they're pretty significant and and they were life-changing for you. Absolutely. They they steered my career, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So... As a teacher, when when you went into running your own studio and students were coming to you, did that have an impact in the way that you approached teaching hmm. and the language that you used with your students, the how you guided them in the, in the teaching studio? I would say that it impacted the type of student that I accepted. Really? If a, yeah. If a, if a student was a live, active live a living active (laughs) adult (laughs) adult performer then I would I would tend to not take them you know because I'd be like you know I can I can work with you on getting your voice better but Mm. as far as the practical experience of what you're having on the stage I can't really address that uh so I felt that I was very good at at technique and repertoire mm-hmm. but but not at teaching performance so I started performing at my kids my own children's youth theater with them and so I started getting theater performance and they started giving me better and better roles so it got more and more intense until the point where I was actually music directing and wow. and that, yeah so so I gained my music theater chops in a community theater like yes. that yeah yeah and then was able to go on and do some professional productions as I got better and better and more confident. Confidence is so much of it. Mm-hmm. So for me, though, that aside from quantity of singing, which um, I motivated myself by singing for causes. For instance, I decided I was going to have a fundraiser yes. for a specific student who had a disease. And so oh, then there's cool. no way I could back out, mm-hmm. you know, and it was all about the good cause and that quantity of performing like that. But one thing that I went through that was very unusual was that I tried hypnosis. Mm-hmm. And there is a type of hypnosis that is science-based. I've, I've seen it used on people. That's It's quite practical. They get you in a very calm place and talk about suggestions or concepts with you in this mental place. Mm-hmm. But there's another kind of hypnosis that's far more uh, hard to put your finger on, right? right? It's more, I don't know, new age, woo woo, whatever. Woo woo hypnosis. Exactly. And I went to woo woo hypnosis. Oh, wow. I didn't tell anybody because no. that just wasn't part of my reality, science-based, you know, and, no. and yeah. And, and this um, woman had 
I think I had like four sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the last two sessions, she had me put my arm out and then she would push on my arm and say a number and then push on my arm and say another number and then push on my arm. And she would see how my arm reacted differently to those different numbers. Okay. And then, she, yeah. And then she would page through a book to see what that number meant. And it was a really fat book. And then she'd know which next two numbers to read and which next two and which next two. And I have no idea how long that went on because I was hypnotized, but I'm guessing an hour, hour and a half. I I think you reached at least a million by then. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no kidding. And, uh, and at the end of that, Hmm. I, I realized a couple of early sources of criticism and judgment in my childhood that were part of my performance anxiety, the root of it, where it started. And then once the performance anxiety started, it just kept spinning up and spinning up and spinning up. You know, you perform once nervous, you don't feel like you did good, you're going to be more nervous the next time. So you're not going to do as good. Then so you're going to get even more nervous the next time. And that's what was going on. And I discovered that the root of my performance anxiety was was ridiculous. You know, something like we hear so many people say, oh, my elementary school, you know, church music director told me to just be the quiet butterfly or something, you know, Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. That, that can be the cause of performance anxiety. Yes. Yes. And really that takes me back to the point before that we have such a responsibility as singing teachers. We could, we have the ability to create someone losing their voice. Yeah. And and that loss of voice isn't just yeah. in singing, but voice in life as well. It can shut them down in life. And yeah. and I find it's it especially a, a almost like a larger responsibility when you're working with children mm-hmm. that you have to be so kind and fill them with positive thoughts and positive energy because you can make or break their, yeah. their their singing experiences. And the last thing you want is for them to lose the joy of singing and, and exactly. to lose their voices in life as well. Yes, absolutely. The joy of singing is so much. And, and yeah, if you take away that joy of singing, especially for a person who's a born singer, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that part of their identity is completely yes. removed. Like yes. it was for me briefly when I was at mm-hmm. Lady Footlocker. Oh, that's permanent damage. Yes. And it can change a person's life. How many people have you heard say that, oh, yeah, I was a soloist in high school, but now mm-hmm. I'm, you know, and I'm not a singer anymore. Oh, my yes. goodness. But yeah. how many people do you hear also that say, oh, I can't sing, you know, yeah. I- I sound terrible when I sing. Mm-hmm. I mean, who told them that? Right. And and the other thing is when you tell people that you're a singing teacher, the first thing everyone asks me is, can you teach anyone to sing? Is yeah. that what is that the first thing you're asked? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, you can have that almost on repeat. You can almost save them asking the question. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Pull out my phone. I know what you're going to ask. Yeah. And for you, I know that you have this very firm belief that everyone has the right to sing. Mm-hmm. So you believe that everyone has the right to have their voices heard and you're working really hard to champion other people to find their voices. 
Where has that come from? Where has that come from? Mm -hmm. I, you know, one of the best things about being a teacher is that you're also learning when you teach, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps people who go into psychiatry are helping themselves while they help others, right? Like psychologists, (laughs) everyone that that I know that has problems wants to be a psychologist yes. or has had problems as a child wants yeah. to be a psychologist. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that very, the, the way that I took your question is very, um, very to the point and interesting and I, and I love it. Um, and that is, you know, like, I think what I took is that what, what is it about me or what happens mm. that I want other people to find mm. their voice? Absolutely. Where, where is that, that, where have you drawn that mission, that inspiration to Mm -hmm. follow that, that mission and that path in your life? Yep. Yep. That, that inspiration comes from being a, a strong, independent woman. Uh, And I have to add the word woman because the strong and independent, great, but being a woman Mm -hmm. who's been judged, Mm -hmm. you have to make a choice to ignore judgments that hold you back, right? Yes. I've had to make I've yes. had to make those choices to ignore yes. judgments that would hold me back. Yes. Maybe this is, goes for men too, but I think it's pretty well documented for women. And there's there's a cultural norm that hmm. our generation, you're in my generation, is coming out of. We were the first generation of liberated women, and who knew what that was? Uh, So somebody still has to raise the kids and make dinner. So Mm -hmm. honey, you may be liberated, but you better stay home and do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's, that's a squashing, that's a killing that comes from our society. And that I'm sure happened to me in many different ways, like it does to all women, and I'm sick of it. But there is, there is a part of, of the medical world, the, the word this is totally going off on another tangent. Yes, so that's put fine. on the brakes if, if you want. That's fine. Um, no, I'm 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 coming along. You're on along on this ride. Yeah, I'm on the ride with you. It's yes. fine. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, when we when I was writing the book Singing Through Change, was which is about women's voices in midlife and menopause and beyond, um, we did research that showed what hysteria is. Now hysteria. Yeah, I know. It's like out of the blue. Hysteria is, um, isterus is the Greek word for uterus. And hysteria was a diagnosis that started mm, some three, 400 years ago that was put to women, adult women who started acting differently than women should act. And okay. it could be anything from headaches. Many women, because of their hormones, they get migraines. So that could be a hysteria. Um, uh, many women, because of their hormones in their 40s or 50s will have periods of rage that yes. would be hysteria yeah and and these are all now we know that this is due to massively fluctuating hormones and it can be dealt with in the medical world but the word hysteria was a medical diagnosis until the 1980s and it was meant for women in midlife who are not acting like they're supposed to act and one of the phrases if you look in the wikipedia for hysteria one of the phrases is women who have a tendency to cause trouble for others. And yeah. I must be deeply and highly hysterical. We are both hysterical. I am the most hysterical person that I know. 
<laughs> yes. So that is part of the root of my nature to help women find their voices and men, but mostly women is that. Yes. And I want them become even more hysterical. More hysterical, please. Let's the make some trouble. The more hysterical, the better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Yes. yes. Yeah. And yeah. when you talk about women being becoming independent and you know, society changing, it actually has not happened that long ago. And in some cultures, it's still not happening. Like I'll share something that I've not shared before Mm -hmm. is that um, I was married previously uh, to an Italian man and Mm -hmm. I come from an Italian culture where as a child I was raised that uh, children are seen and not heard. Yeah, And so I never spoke up. I couldn't disagree with my parents. I wasn't allowed an opinion. And then I married that person. Yeah. Yeah. And I, re- I was only at 20, I was pregnant with my first child living in a suburb where I was surrounded by Australians and, and I, I was the only European. And yeah. it was very lonely because I was so young and everyone else was so much older than what I was and there I was at 20 barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen and I wasn't allowed to follow my career path and I was extremely um, in a situation that I started to realise I was not happy being in because I was not that person. Yes, that's yes. right. Yes, and, I mean, people that know me now would not know <laughs> that that. I was quietened down and I was not allowed to have an opinion and I was um, that domesticated Italian wife in my early 20s. And that's part of the culture where I grew up too. Um, I mean, not not the the Italian thing. That's completely opposite. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a Scandinavian culture in the middle of the United States in a place called South Dakota, which is classic prairie country. You know, sod houses and wagon trains. And um, I mean. I was born after the wagon trains had gone through, but just for perspective, <laughs> there were cars when I was born. Oh, but, thank um, goodness. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you look great for 150. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> just, just for those who might be younger yeah, than us. Okay. So, yeah. um, but but that Scandinavian culture and the, the Lutheran church that I was raised in, there is a hierarchy of voices and definitely um you need to be a team player. Nobody should stick out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are all in this together working for a greater purpose, which truly, when it was survival and you were building sod houses and cutting new farmland and fighting the enemy, then yeah, survival is the thing. But when it's now a city and a suburb and women's liberation has happened and still the culture is saying, quiet, quiet, quiet. And I know there's a lot of people who can say they've experienced that. I was always jealous of the people of New York who could just be loud and and out and just fabulous. Yes. And in our industry, we there's a tendency for the woman, if you're in a band, to be right. called the chick singer. Eww. Yes, and I I was tarnished with that brush. I was the chick singer in the band. But I tell you what, if you survive that, you can survive anything. <laughs> yeah. And, and like when I'm at work and someone says something to me at work, I work with a lot of male musicians who are excellent teachers. And I could come back like that. They say anything, my comebacks are like this. But I said not only did I work with men 
all these musos who are very condescending but try working in a bar at three in the morning when Mm -hmm. it's full of drunks who are basically yelling out and this is my Australian accent coming out now yeah love get your gear off you know (laughs) well you do that what do you do you learn you go into fight or flight mode and I tell you what I fought and I learned so now like independent strong woman I can I can deal with anything anyone ever says to me because of that and that's what we had to deal with in the industry and I'm sure that's still around now that culture Mm, absolutely and uh the 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 child who's raised in a culture where um they're not allowed to say anything. You know, children are yeah. better seen, seen than heard or the dad has the ability to silence the child with a word or a look. Um, that those kids don't learn how to fight, right? Mm-hmm. We yes. learn. Yeah. We yes, learn how exactly. to obey. Yeah. Yes. And you learned how to fight. How did you learn how to fight? I don't know, but deep down, I think that I'm just, a, I'm very resilient I'm tenacious and if anyone tells me I can't do anything, I've become the person that will do it just to spite you. Awesome. And if you tell me that I don't have the ability to do something, I will find a way to learn how to do it just to spite you. Good for you. (laughs) You But but it's taken a lot of life lessons. It's taken loss. It's taken a lot of things for me, I, basically, I've been brought up in the school of hard knocks. Yeah. And that's yeah. where all that has come from for and me. And you were encouraged by your teacher, your fabulous teacher, right? Don't let those knocks stop you. Keep mm-hmm. going. Yeah. Yes. So that takes us to where we're at now in life. And we talk about, you know, that women were silenced, but also too, the generation of women that are coming through now, they're yeah. facing other challenges. They are. They have different challenges to what we did. We were told to, to be silent. Yes. But the women now, are they losing their ability to communicate, do you feel, for other reasons? Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about things like we don't, pick up the phone and call people. We tend to send emails. Because of technology, do you think that there's other factors that are silencing women? Yeah, I I do think also um, that the pressure for for some of my high school girls that stayed with me, they were outstanding, Mm -hmm. brilliant. They could do everything. And that that pressure, and that has something to do with the town that we, we lived in, which was a really successful town called Bellevue, Washington. And that pressure to be everything and do everything means that the girl is required yes. to ignore herself, right? right? This hour, you are a mathematician and you're getting all yes. A's. And this hour, you're the lead in the musical and you're killing it. And this hour, you're in volleyball and you are going to spike that ball, you know, and to be the best all the time at everything means there's no chance to find out who you really are. So yes, there is the technology problem. And then there's in that kind of overachieving world, there's the society problem. Mm. Um, I, I, I would say I've witnessed college students that um, do get confused about that, uh, 
how to talk to people, especially during the pandemic, mm-hmm. where everything now is online. They, for a while, don't even know how to leave their house. And I know that wasn't a problem in Australia as much as it was no, in no. other parts of the world where, where college students didn't leave their apartment or their dorm or their house for a year, um, basically, wow. because everything was online. So you'd get up and grab your coffee and put on your bathrobe and go to class and do your homework and just, ah, I can't even imagine what that's going to do for silencing people's voices. It's yes. something we have to keep a lookout for. That's for yes. sure. And also by doing that, we're silencing their emotions. Yes, absolutely. The, the only way to know, deal with it, yeah. They don't know how to express themselves. Mm-hmm. They can't communicate and use their voice. That's another instance where some people will lose their voice in life, I suppose. Yeah, it certainly is good to have a good therapist or a good friend or a good coach or mentor to help you through those things because it's it's unprecedented unprecedented in the history of, of the world. We don't know how to emerge from this. Yes. Hmm. And yeah. how do you help people find their voice in life? Because that's something that I know you're working on. Uh, yeah. And specifically with women, I understand yeah. that, and I think you gave the demographic of women between 40 and 70. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, How the, do you um, achieve that? The, the most important um, aspect that I found is to help women tap into, the, into the, the fact, I believe it's a fact, that we were all put here for a purpose. We all have something inside of us that's dying to get done before we pass from this earth. Um, and if a woman feels that her life or her silence is blocking her mm-hmm. from delivering that message, from sharing what she's passion. Now, passion, passion taken from the, the original meaning, which is the passion of Jesus Christ on the cross, dying uh, for love of us. That's what passion means. So what are you, and, or that's the source of the word passion. Yes. And so what are you passionate enough about that you can't help yourself, but go do say, tell the world. Once you find that and start to believe that that is why you are here, then it's time to look for ways to look for ways to get through whatever it is that's blocking you. And sometimes those blocks are people. Uh, in my case, yes. I had family members that were blocking me, as you did with your Italian. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, and so sometimes it's it's a very harsh reality that we find ourselves um, having fallen into. Um, but uh, that that meaning of life, you know, I'm, I don't want to die without having sung. I don't want to die without giving my message. That yes. That, that's real. That's the truth. That's the truth. We get one life. We have to live it. Mm-hmm. And so encouraging and empowering women to move forward in their passion. Yeah. So when I listen to you speak, there's another side to that. You're talking about passion, but you're yeah. also talking about purpose to me because mm-hmm. when I think about passion, it's something that I want to do. Ah. And purpose is what you do for others. So very good. Those both start with you. Absolutely. And instead, I think it's what comes through you. Yes. Have you ever delivered a song or a message that you're like, I don't know where that came from. That that didn't come from me. That came Mm -hmm. through me. Have you experienced that? Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Songwriters and Paul McCartney talked about that, you know, uh, that song, I woke up with that song and I just wrote it down and it was amazing. You know, we hear that kind of thing all the time. I've had performances like that. Clearly our purpose or our passion doesn't come from this body. It comes from how our soul is attached to all the other souls and the energy of the world. Mm -hmm. That's the source, not from this body, but from something much bigger than who we are. Yes. So it's almost like an out-of-body experience. It can be. It can be. Yes. I, I know sometimes, like for me now, I don't perform, but my purpose and passion is also trying to help others. And, and my I, I believe I'm here for, I, I want to live in service for other people. Mm-hmm. And there are times, say, when I'm creating content and I'm working on something and I and then I walk away from it and I come back the next day, I go, where did that even come from? <laughs> well, that was good. I don't remember writing that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's other times I go, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, but I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So, so part of part of getting over performance anxiety is getting rid of the ego. It's and so I never I never finished this journey. The real piece yeah. that I think is get out of the way. It's mm-hmm. not about you. If oh. you are wondering how to now maybe maybe you're singing in a strip club and people really care about how your body looks. But if you're worried about what do people think of me? That's not a meaningful way to deliver an important story or message. You get out of the way. The message goes through you. And it's the same thing with speaking. It's the same thing with life. It's the same thing with raising children or talking to your employer or starting a company. It's coming through you and you need to know that it's right. Yes. And that can be really difficult if you've been criticized a lot as a child and if even if there was a hair out of place, mm-hmm. that, that people around you were looking for a source of criticism. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, what right do they have to criticize you? Do they know better? Are they? Yeah. No, they're not. I mean, maybe at the time they were 40 and you were 10. But now that you're 40, you know they were wrong. I guess I'm 40. <laughs> now that I'm now 40. 40. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And... In our singing teaching community, things are becoming very, very targeted towards using science-based mm-hmm. techniques, yeah. approaches, investigations, mm-hmm. troubleshooting. Yeah. Do you think that is benefiting our community or is it getting mm-hmm. in the way of what you're talking about where it's almost saying that, your voice is the larynx and we don't worry about the rest of what's going on. <laughs> the, um, the interesting thing to me is that such a huge part of our population lives in the world where the science is what they need to a hundred percent believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that the tradition of yin and yang would, would speak to this. And so if you are a yang person that needs the hard facts and you need the science in order to, serve your students the best, then yes, isn't it great that the science is there mm-hmm. so that you can speak to your students that way. And if you're the opposite, um, I I like to think I'm balanced. I do just yes. as much science as I yes. do, you know, woo-woo. Yes. Yes. 
the woo-woo. <laughs> Absolutely. But, um, but I do think that, that it's a spectrum. And I, I think it depends on where you are. Mm-hmm. Yes. There, there are a lot of, there are a lot of, there's a lot of bad instruction that's been done away with because of science. I remember, I agree. yeah, back in 2005, I said to Scott McCoy, um, Dr. Scott McCoy has written one of the leading books on physiology and anatomy and, and, and acoustics. And um, I said to Scott, so how do men do falsetto? Do they have like a second windpipe? He's like, oh, oh, Nancy. And, so, and the thing is, I wasn't alone. There were older teachers that thought that men had an unusual mechanism in their throats that allowed them to create what they called falsetto, like a whole different part of the voice or an extra track. And so thank goodness for science. Thank goodness. <laughs> yes. Because yeah. you would have spent a lot of time looking for it. Making up my own theories. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Oh, I could never do that. Yeah. 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 So you believe that everyone has a story to share. And yeah. 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 So how do we know what that story is? Mm -hmm. And have you found your story to share? Absolutely. I have found my story. It does continually change. But uh, Mm -hmm. as we um, evolve. Yeah, hasn't this, well, again, and I know that it wasn't as as bad in Australia, but you should be jealous of this part of the pandemic, is that those of us who were in isolation for months, months, had an incredible opportunity to look inside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing the results of that. And, and, and what we're seeing is that people are hearing and, and experiencing spirituality and an, a deeper understanding of the energetic connectedness of all people much more than we did before when we were just in the daily grind, you know? Yes. Um, and, and so I think that, that hearing that looking for opportunities through meditation or prayer um, uh, or a spiritual guide or a religious mentor are great ways to find out what your purpose is. And also though, I don't think it, necessarily appears to a person before a certain age. I don't think that a 25 year old should expect to know why they're on this planet. Maybe their job is to just keep selling tennis shoes at Lady Foot Locker in order to prepare skills for later, you know, once their purpose is revealed. Yes. And in terms of you talk about meditation and prayer, are you a spiritual person? Very much. More, more than I, more now than I was before the pandemic. Yeah. I've, you know, so I started by saying that I was in this, um, this jazz group, um, that sang at Winnebago parks. Another thing that I love doing is singing at funerals. So I'm a professional funeral singer too. And, <laughs> you know, isn't it crazy? I love this. There is nothing more fun. And sometimes if I get emotional, I mean, that sounds ridiculous fun, but talk about, a great way to be able to help people in their most sure. vulnerable moment mm-hmm. that you can provide uh, transportation, transport into a calmer place or a place of retrospection or um, connection with the dead. Um, absolutely something that I love experiencing and that spiritual journey that may or may not live uh, beyond death uh, is is something that I'm absolutely fascinated with. So what is the craziest request you've had for a song oh, at a funeral? Yeah, totally. Well, I've had to do some Mick Jagger music. You know, as these baby boomers die, they ask for crazy things. Yes, <laughs> yes. I think I'd like Justin Timberlake. Oh, why not? Yeah. Sexy back. 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So do you meditate every day? I do now. I didn't used to. And I'm hooked. In fact, I'm a pretty hyper person. And I yeah. never could calm down enough to meditate. Thankfully, though, now there's these tools that help us meditate. And uh, my favorite meditation teacher is in London. Her name is Linda Hall. And how could I have ever known about Linda Hall if it wasn't for modern technology? So I'm so grateful for that. Yes. Do you like guided meditations then? I do. And I like backing tracks. And I feel like this is the, the you know, the cotton candy fluff of the meditation world, but I really do like it. <laughs> and for some people, when they meditate, obviously, you know, we, we all meditate. I meditate every morning. I can't Wonderful. say I'm still very good at it. Sometimes it's not till the last minute that my yes. mind actually <laughs> starts to quieten. Yes. <laughs> it could be nine minutes of, oh, this is going on. And then the last yes. minute you go, ah, oh, Zen. Yeah. 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 But during those sessions, have you ever had aha moments? During those sessions, I usually, um, no, I don't believe I've had aha moments during meditation. I think, though, that that I, I, I prefer a mindfulness meditation that takes me out of the tight, small place that I'm in. And allows me to open up. So in a way, yeah, more like perspective moments. Have you had aha moments in meditation? Um, yes, I have. I can't name anything right now, yeah. but it could be what I'm going to title something and I've been trying to figure it out and then right. that, that yeah. thought will just pop up. Or uh, Yeah, and it's just it, a gift. It, it's just yes. given to you. Mm -hmm. Yes, I suppose for me, if it's an aha moment, it's a piece of a puzzle that falls into place sure. when at any other time during my busy day, I can't seem to find that missing piece. Yes, yeah. I've enjoyed, though, um, that kind of, I, I call it a transformative experience when performing sometimes. Uh, there was an opportunity that I had this is a back-to-back -back rehearsal and then performance. I was singing at a church in Croatia with, with a choir, and I was singing um, Morton Lauritsen's Omanu Mysterium in this gigantic old, old European cathedral, like at least 800 years old. And so the reverb in there was three and a half seconds. Mm -hmm. When I was doing the rehearsal, I was in my body, and I was in the words, and I was listening for the piano, and it was bad. And when I got up to sing the solo, I got my ego out of the way. It's like, well, that rehearsal was bad. It's going to be whatever it's going to be. So let's just sit back and enjoy. And then I got to I, not literally, but mentally float with the sound waves in the cathedral and, and just totally enjoy this wow. transformational experience. It was probably the singing highlight of my life, those four minutes. And, uh, that as singers, you know, that, that got my ego out of the way. I wasn't nervous because I was just the vehicle for this sound in this glorious place. And I got to say three and a half minutes of reverb really helps yes. because you can <laughs> actually listen to yourself. <laughs> but, yes. Yeah. Yes. And I suppose when. I'm sorry, three and a half seconds, not three and a half minutes. That's yeah. <laughs> when you get out of your way, yeah. then you are not judging yourself. Right. And then you don't care if other people are judging you. Yep. Would you agree with that? Yep. It is what it is. This is what I'm putting out and 
Let's go on. Yeah. And and then if you can get out of judging yourself, doesn't that release all kinds of mental and physical tension that allows you to be the storyteller that you need to be? Yeah. Yes. And a lot of people forget that as singers, we're storytellers. We are storytellers. One of my best examples of that was I was singing Sweet Child of Mine with a garage band, right? And so this oh. is a local garage band. I'm doing Sweet Child of Mine. I love that song. Yeah. It's like made for a woman's voice. <laughs> but... Right before that performance, in fact, it made me come late for that. My daughter earlier in the day had slammed her thumb in the car door Mm -hmm. and we had gone to the doctor. She's terrible pain with tremendously built up pressure under her thumb. And uh, this is so gruesome. The doctor drilled a hole in her thumb and released the blood and then laughed inappropriately as doctors are wont to do. And the pain was relieved. But in the meantime, she was sobbing. I was sobbing. And then I go off to the performance and I sing Sweet Child of Mine. And it was just all there in that yes. song. And when yes. I got when I when we got done, the drummer goes, "Wow!" And I'm like, "Yeah, wow!" Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking about my daughter and the blood flooding out of that song. That's Sweet child, <laughs> I love that. I have to say, you have some gruesome stories about. I do. <laughs> Death, blood. You know, let's yeah. keep them entertained. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Voice and Beyond, which was part one of a two-part episode with internationally acclaimed voice expert Nancy Boss. In the following episode, Nancy shares her wealth of knowledge on the impact of menopause on the voice. We look forward to you joining us next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Voice and Beyond. Now is an important time for all of us to spread positivity and empowerment in our Singing Voice community. It's time for you to invest in your own self-care, personal growth and education. Use every day as an opportunity to learn and to grow so you can show up for your students feeling energized, empowered and ready to deliver your best. Be the best role model and mentor you can possibly be and watch your students thrive as you do. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to share it with a friend or a colleague who you think will be inspired by this. Copy and paste the link and share it with the people you think will enjoy listening to this show. Please share it on social media and use the hashtag A Voice and Beyond. If you would like to help me, please rate and review this podcast and cheer me on by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts right now. I would love to know what it is you enjoyed the most about this episode and what was the biggest takeaway for you. I promise you there are many episodes to follow as I'm committed to bringing you more inspiration and conversations just like this one. I'd like to finish up with my final thoughts. Remember that to sing is more than just learning how to use the voice. 
As singers, our whole body is the instrument and our bodies echo what we feel physically, mentally and emotionally. So singing is not just about the voice. It's about a voice and beyond. Please take care of yourself and I look forward to your company next time.